Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Hello and welcome to episode 45 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, occasional filmmaker. And joining us today, he is the co-director and head programmer of the Soho Horror Film Festival, it is Mitch Harrod. Mitch, hello. Hello, how are you doing? <laughs> hey, hello Mitch. Hello. <laughs> Uh, listeners might remember Mitch of course we did a bonus episode um, a wee while ago talking about the festival but finally getting in for a full length one yes I've been waiting for a while for this one yeah we've been trying okay. for a bit to make it work and you've picked a cracker we're yeah. going to go toe to toe yep I'm not going to use the word cracker I'm afraid <laughs> I am <laughs> this is I, a bona fide Christmas delight. <laughs> I have um I've landed somewhere in the middle on this but we can get into it and uh, yes you've chosen Cedar Chucky today that I have, which um, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say Cedar Chucky is one of the most ahead of its time, nuanced and contemporarily socially relevant horror films of the 2000s. Welcome to my TED Talk. Okay. <laughs> now we're talking. Oh, yeah. So oh, I was going yeah. to ask you why you picked it, but um, yeah, talk a little bit about it. Well, um, I don't know if this is a peek behind the curtain, but uh, we talked about uh, several few films. Yeah, uh, we did. Stunning amount of which I've just realized in retrospect actually involves semen. Um, I don't know what that says, but yeah. Uh, but no, uh, I settled on Seed because I'm a massive fan of franchise horror. I think it's really, really interesting to look at as an evolving piece. I think often it kind of can be a mirror for what's going on at the time, especially if that franchise can span a good few years, which the Charles Play franchise does. Mm-hmm. And um, and this is, a, this is a real stunningly reviled film I've... Uh, found in a, in a kind of our burgeoning horror circles and i can't understand it uh, i get that it's an acquired taste i get that it's like a radically different tone from its predecessors uh but i think a lot of people are kind of failing to look past its scattershot surface um yeah. uh, to, and they're not seeing this this radical queer masterwork I'm i fe- love this film i'm feeling very attacked I was going to say, yeah, like we we watched this together right before we came up to do this and you've just kind of like preempted a couple of criticisms of Andy's in an interesting way. I don't think okay. that's true. I don't think that's true. I think I think it's it's definitely hinting at what's to come. Uh Mitch, you've got to know what's coming next, man. I can't I can't imagine what's coming next. <laughs> um for the benefit of anyone who is listening to this without having seen See the Chucky, are you prepared to have a go at a 30 second synopsis? Oh my god, you caught me off guard. I couldn't possibly. <laughs> you said Give me the clock. <laughs> Three, two, one, go. 
So, following on from the final scene in Bride of Chucky, in which demonic baby erupts in the suspiciously fertile womb of a child doll, Tiffany, Seed finds said baby, now called Shitface, kidnapped from the crime scene and raised in England by a ventriloquist. Back in America, the Chucky and Tiffany dolls have been restored and are now being used in a perfectly good taste adaptation of the real life murders. Orphan Shitface catches wind of this and flies to LA to be reunited with his parents, who are shocked to find not, not only do they have a child, the child is a pacifist with gender identity issues. Chucky and Tiffany continue to strive their escape from the doll form and set their sights on transferring their bodies into none other than franchise star and queer icon Jennifer Tilly and rapper, come director Jennifer Redmond. Stop. What shoes? <laughs> that was a fair, fair old whack. Um, I'm going to guess that you'd written that. No, not at all. <laughs> there, were, there were also three or four really good jokes in there. Did you refer to Redmond as Jennifer Redmond? Yes. <laughs> because, because pretty much, I would happily say that Jennifer Tilly played all these characters, kind of <laughs> Night Professor Two, the Clump style. <laughs> I, I think, think it would be. It would be a far better received movie if she had done this. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's the version of this that I want to watch. Um, Although, tidbit number one, Universal um, kind of famously, and we'll get into this a bit later, but Universal famously refused this movie based on a couple of different tenets. One being it's too gay, and two being that it had too much Jennifer Tilly in it. Wow. Really? Okay. Mm. I wonder how much Jennifer Tilly is considered too much. This much. <laughs> any? Any? I, I didn't any find... outside of Bound? I like Jennifer Tilly. I find her sexy. I don't. <laughs> I'm willing to throw my hands up to that. Um, yeah, we were discussing this actually. I, th- I also think that there is a certain attractiveness to Jennifer Tilly. I'm happy to watch her. I'm is it her. the voice? It is a bit. Yeah. I kind of want to be told off by her. <laughs> she but, would. But I digress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you sure do. <laughs> right, let's jump into this thing. Uh, the opening credits. I was all set to make a jizz joke, and the film makes it for me instantly. Well, it starts off with spunk. It does. I mean, what more could you want as a gay man than to have your directorial name card be under a curtain of cum? <laughs> <laughs> like, Don Mancini is really living his dream here, and I'm all for it. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's one hell of an open sequence or an opening credits. Yeah, and like you say, Mitch, if you're under any any, any doubt as to whether this white viscous liquid is in fact come, uh, that question is answered in the next shot when we see what must only be plastic semen firing through a computer generated uterus. I I don't think there's any real clue that this is computer generated. This is cutting <laughs> edge imagery you have right here, <laughs> and a completely biologically accurate fetal growth. Uh, if anything, this is really an educational merit to society. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Maybe say for the babies in utero made in Japan tattoo. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which is a incredible, frustrating deus ex machina that's been thrown in here. I, shall we jump in now? Shall we get to later when it starts to unfold as an actual plot device? We can get, we can get into it now. Um, we can get into the inaccuracy first uh, in so much <laughs> as... Uh, Chucky was made in a factory in Chicago. That we literally see! <laughs> multiple times! <laughs> written by the director and writer of this movie! <laughs> but it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, it's a casual piece of retconning, but it it's is quite just... agree- an egregious one. I suppose... Either that or the uh, the very wrist or forearm, because we, we do find out later that there is a lot of forearm action in these dolls. Maybe <laughs> they were beyond engineering capabilities of US manufacturers and they had to outsource the wrists to Japan. <laughs> I've always found in toys that they tend to put the made on or the kind of trademark somewhere where you wouldn't generally see it on, yeah. the, like, on the sole of the foot. On the arse, run about the battery compartment. Nope, wrist. 
<laughs> Fair, <laughs> fine, yeah, yeah. Right there. Yeah. Right. Um. So out of this, we get um. It's shot from the shot from the doll's perspective. At this point, we don't know which doll. Um, well, that's good though because it's a kind of callback to like the original Child's Play, which nowadays no one no one cares about anything Chucky does in first person. We yeah. know we know by this point. It's also a massive aping of. It's an homage to the opening of Halloween. Would you not say? I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think I think that's what kind of Don's going for. And as far as like technical accomplishment, this is great stuff. Oh yeah, um, really, the, really good. The actual the first murder, I suppose, which is also done in first person, yep. is really good. So, so where Chucky stabs. So, so yeah, what we get is uh, kind of an opening of a of a birthday present. Uh, is the family English? Do we know this or not? <laughs> um, I had anything I, Telegraph if they're English. Uh, written down, I had precocious English brat opens parcel and bemoans ugliness of what is presumably a doll. I called her Veruca Salt. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's quite possible that they're Romanian um, and they're just doing an approximation of an English accent. They're actually English actors. 65% of this film's budget went on either English actors or English um, kind of technical post-production crew. Oh, okay. There you go. There you go. There you have it. So they are authentically English. The doll is hastily stashed away in a box and escapes from it almost immediately in the dead of night. Pulls a knife from a birthday cake, which, judging by the sound design, is made of steel. <laughs> it can only be made. <laughs> yeah, it can only be made of either that or some kind of. Flint. That's a good quality British birthday cake. Though. <laughs> <laughs> At least we're not questioning that. Yeah. Flavorless and bad for your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and yeah, the the the. POV that we presume? Do we all presume this is Chucky? I think that I, I, I certainly, going into this as a first watch, that was certainly the stance that I took on this. And I think you're, you're, you're fair to, to make that leap. So Chucky's running upstairs. We have a, darling, I'm just going to have a shower. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is heralding another tidbit, another fact, which is the first nudity yeah. in any Child's Play film. In fact, I think it might actually be the only nudity in any Child's Play film. I certainly think, cannot remember uh, there having been in any in the subsequent films. It's which like, is yeah. ironic considering the director's sexual persuasion, right? Sure. Sure. Uh, sadly, <laughs> it's not the last nudity in this film. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess that's technically true. But more true. on that later. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, the um, the father of this family uh, finds the doll in the in the lobby. Gets kind of pissed off that the ki- he thinks obviously that the kid has left the doll lying around. I think that this death where the dad is stabbed in the shoulder from the kind of first person view is great. You basically the camera basically rides the rides the dad down to the ground, and we follow the whole thing. I think it's great, and I remember seeing this when I, when I first saw it and being all in at this point. Yeah, I was the same. Yeah. Um, I was completely, like, I, I was at this point completely on board. I think that the, that first kill is really, really satisfying and kind of funny. And also one thing we haven't said is the, they're trying to appear like this entire shot is in one in one shot as well. Yeah. Mm. Uh, there are clear edit points when the kind of the lightning is flashing, but certainly all of the... Uh, the, the kind of the dad carrying this this figure up until him um, flying and kind of riding in rodeo style over the balustrade. <laughs> All is one shot. Incredible. Incredible stuff. And this is a directorial debut. Yeah. Mm. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah so, then, um, so then we have uh, Chucky. He kind of runs up. No, whoa, is it Chucky? Runs upstairs and finds the mother in the shower. Yep. And we get, like we say, the first, certainly the first boobies in the franchise. Uh, but very quickly, bye bye boobies. Yeah, <laughs> gone. 
Um, I am. Um, I thought that when I when I realized that this was going to be her shouting and him kind of coming in there, I thought that they would psycho this a little bit harder. Hmm. They psycho it quite hard, I would say. And then there's a moment in the scene that kind of follows after this, which is also lifted pretty much from Psycho. So they they definitely push the Psycho angle throughout, which makes sense as well, given Glenn's kind of confusion about his gender. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of Bates kind of aping in there slightly mm-hmm. ever so slightly yeah but like i think i think i get what mitch is saying is they don't go down the the real obvious like pastiche route yeah of the, of the psycho shower scene you is can't that... do a shower scene in a horror film without kind of being compared are you glad they didn't do that mitch you know what at the time i was kind of just kind of surprised by it and the more i think about it the more i think that it is an interesting choice because you kind of I was, it was, I was kind of, it was so hardwired in my head that that was where it was going to go. That when he kind of dropped the knife and she just fell in her head, I was like, I actually, like, it's kind of nice to kind of subvert your expectations in that way. Mm -hmm. And it's worth mentioning at this point, very, very quickly, we see that it's not Chucky after all. We do. We get a flash of lightning kind of cut in a mirror uh, of this very small demonic baby that is absolutely nothing like the uh the baby we saw freshly birthed no. at the end of bride of chucky he has had a radical um gr- growth spurt can we say i would say and he's uh, he's also hideous nightmare fuel absolutely there was so much backlash on the reception of this movie about how uh shit-faced glenn glenda that looked and let's fire into that now what what are our thoughts on yeah I, how I, he looks compared especially after uh, freshly off of Bride of Chucky having a new introduction of a character who looks very similar in style to Chucky with Tiffany. I still wish they'd kind of straddled the line a bit more between a a blend of Chucky and Tiffany. I feel some any family resemblance would have been handy. Yeah, there's nothing here. Apart from red hair. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's no other... And the fact that he's a doll... There's very little uh, that kind of ties them to Chucky or Tiffany. Yeah. One point of contention I do have as well, I don't think the design of um, of they actually pairs in with the uh, uh, with the kind of gender dysphoria. There's, there's not, it's not an androgynous character. For me, it reads as a, as a boy. Yeah, it so definitely really. reads as a boy from the first time you see him. Yeah. And I think as well, Billy Boyd's voice never helps in that either. No, this is Billy Boyd fresh off of just finishing all of the lord of the rings films as well yeah curious choice as well i think um, very curious choice very interesting uh vocal technique as well considering <laughs> we've got a, a scottish actor here doing a pseudo british accent would that have been any better if he just kept his own accent i don't even know i mean but the thing is you so so what we what we kind of get to is that just to backtrack a little bit the character we see this kind of monstrous toddler doll is awoken from a dream uh pissing his own pants yes uh, and we we dream cut to this who's the titular character who we shall for now refer to as shitface fair yeah. yeah um and he is being performed as a ventriloquist act psycho and shitface by this this guy who is neither very british or any kind of inclination so I think, and this is to, to, we'll get back to this, but I'm just going to add my first little uh, tangent here. But the film is so much about this whole kind of nature versus nurture debate yeah. on congenital violence and um, and uh, the kind of the self identity that we find ourselves in. But you've got this character who has presumably been raised. Well, they actually say in the story that uh, he was taken from the uh, the cemetery. Uh, 
seen in Bride of Chucky yeah. by this character, by Psycho, uh, for some reason, who knows why, mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and raised solely by him. So why are there literally zero character traits mirrored in the two of them? We had this really weird, faded kind of punk star. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of very Billy Bragg, which is weird considering that they're performing at Glastonbury. This is where we first see them. Yeah, in in, in international ventriloquism competition. But it doesn't seem to be the Glastonbury Festival. It just seems to be... No, I'm, I'm at Glastonbury. I I refu- I know I'm going completely the other way with that. I'm thinking that it's a Michael Evers curated ventriloquist stage. Absolutely, yeah. And it's, yeah, yeah. It's not the national competition; it's the international competition. This is the highest level shit <laughs> you can get. I I I love this. This is one of the first anachronisms that you see in kind of low budget filmmaking, where I go, "Well done, C- God bless you. You shoot for the stars." <laughs> yeah, this is Glastonbury. Yeah, sure, this is Glastonbury. Also, I think the second film in a couple of weeks that has like kind of very abruptly pivoted to Glastonbury. Because I'm pretty sure that happens in Queen of the Damned as well. I think you're right. Yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah, uh, uh, Glenn Glenda not living well at this point. Um, no, he's kept caged. Yeah, like I mean, like uh, it's like you say, I mean, it's kind of framed that. Psycho found him and raised him as his own, but it does have more of a feel of a hostage situation. Well, he's caged, so yes, yeah. <laughs> this is a, this is not a complicit deal between the two of them. It is not mutually beneficial for no. them. No. Brief, brief aside, I've written a note here that says "massive eyebrows," and I don't know why because <laughs> I don't know what it relates to. Carry on. I think I think we have to file all design questions at the door here. It's uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's. Suspension of belief? No, 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 no. Suspension of aesthetic questioning. Yeah, aye, that's 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 fair. We've got what we've got, and uh, we're just gonna live with it. We're gonna deal with it. So yeah. So now, shitface. <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about Billy Boyd's accent. Yeah, that's confusing. And like you say, I think it, the fact that he doesn't read as in any way androgynous, he reads as a boy, mm-hmm. and the voice clearly reads as male, definitely confuses, it doesn't help. And I, d- I don't think that Billy Boyd's voiceovers, it's nothing less than wishy-washy. I think that the fact that um, that character is supposed to be like more pacifistic than his birth parents and things like that, sure. I think that like the actual demeanour and the way the lines are delivered doesn't necessarily... Like, I mean, I agree with both, like, with both the points you're making about not really read- reading as androgynous, which I think is an important miss. But I think that this whole kind of like Oliver meets a Christmas Carol type, uh, why to do, like why today is Christmas Day, Governor thing, is like kind of okay. Um, so I don't have a problem with it in that way. But like you say, I think that when it comes down to the kind, the gender confusion stuff, I think that um, it's a big miss that that's not mirrored a little bit more convincingly. So what I'm hearing now is that Mitch, you've already established that Seed of Chucky is Dickensian. Are we right? This this is this is a plus point for me. I certainly think right. that I certainly did, think that yeah. there are Dickensian undertones. Yes, I, yeah, uh, a, I'm going I'm going to take that. There's a tiny timminess to uh, yes, yeah. to Glenn, Glenda. But, I don't uh, know much about myself, <laughs> but I know I'm an orphan, and I know I am Japanese. <laughs> I really like all the Japanese stuff. See, every time that he, he me think, too. <laughs> Every time that he, he kind of speaks to Chucky and Tiffany in Japanese or he, like l- jumping ahead of oh, when he does martial arts later on, <laughs> I just think it's fucking amazing. Is it questionable? Is it okay? The music cues? I the think mu- the music cues. Every time I'm going to say it's okay. It. 
Okay. I'm going to say it's okay because it's done... You think it's done with a suitable level of reverence? It's done with a level of reverence because he believes in his heart that he is Japanese. Okay. Yeah, because he's, the, he's re- like the Rachel Dolezal of... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of gender-confused Japanese puppets. That, is, that has also been brought to life by African-American voodoo ritual. Wow. Like, yeah, absolutely. This is, yeah. this is a true multicultural icon. A, me- <laughs> a bit of a melting pot. Yes. It's a real melting pot. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, Shitface kind of ponders what his real parents are. Yeah, and, uh, we, and we find out. We, we, we do, very we do. quickly. Yeah, we, we jump to a scene that, on first glance, appears confusing, um, of <laughs> Jason Fleming as Santa walking Which, through um, a graveyard. Again, and we're, another tidbit to throw in there, this is the only role in Interview um, that Jason Fleming has regretted doing. Yeah, I, I think... And uh, I quote, I was led on the floor, I was Santa, there was this midget on me, and I said, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah. maybe we were all doing when watching this film on rewatch. Um, I think that it's I think that it's funny that that's his attitude to the role because obviously you see him getting killed by Chucky and Tiffany here and then it kind of pans back and you realise that you're watching a film within a film. But what you might still be watching is actual footage of Jason Fleming saying, I can't work like this and storming off set. <laughs> Absolutely, because we have Jason Fleming playing Jason Fleming. Yeah, oh, yeah, play yeah. Santa. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and in it's a graveyard. Pro- yeah, in a graveyard for some reason. Well, I mean, Random. Child's Play for well, Bride of Chucky rather ends in a graveyard. So I don't know if it's supposed to pick up after that, which is weird in and of itself that Santa would be there. Because what we have, so this is a, a, a an adaptation of the real life murders that happened in Bride of Chucky, presumably. Then, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. We know it's a, they're at least the real-life dolls, that now the canon one through four prior is existing within the reality of this film. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So regardless of what they're actually shooting, this, this has happened now. So, so why Christmas? <laughs> I want to know. I, what I really want to see is that deleted scene where you have a producer deciding, we need a Santa here. <laughs> so he, here's a question, right? Are we to believe... The, the look of Chucky and Tiffany then in this film are the creative choices of a film crew production. Uh, no, because the news reporter actually says that um, it's the real-life dolls taken from the crime scene. Fucking hell. Okay, that's 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 morbid. That's heavy. That's yeah. dark, yeah. <laughs> that's an exceptionally poor taste. That's why I say this is a questionably taste adaptation. Yeah. Which answers my next question. Why do they have Brad Dourif and Jennifer Tilly's voices? Yeah, it's a film within a film, and obviously, uh, kind of in this universe, Jennifer Tilly playing here a fictionalised version of herself. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Where her as- assistant is played by Hannah Spirit of S Club 7. Yes. And th- here I-, I hope that this is because of... So, obviously, they shot the film in Romania, like we already said, and... They so they shot this film for twelve million dollars, um, which is the by far the cheapest Chucky film to date by mm-hmm. almost half. Mm-hmm. And one of the stipulations that they kind of managed to find themselves under was that if they had sixty percent of their cast and crew be British, they would get a rebate on that. Right. So effectively, this film was made for ten million. They got a two million dollar rebate because sixty percent of their cast and crew were British. One of which was Hannah Spirit from S Club 7. Was this worth $2 million in saving? I think not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, here is Joan. Joan, Joan. yeah, a name not befitting the face. I agree, yeah. Melissa Joan Hart, I mean... (laughs) Joan seems 
her, her name's Melissa. Joan's like an auntie's middle name that's been handed down. <laughs> but yeah, off the back of this, um, the in- there's kind of an interview that seems to be doing a kind of set visit. Mm-hmm. Um, is having an interview with uh, Chucky and Tiffany. And at this point, we cut back to shitface Glenn Glenda, who uh, sees him on TV, spots the maid in Japan, and realizes that they are his parents. Or at least kind of makes that fairly hefty logical leap in his head. We've got to remember, they're still at Glastonbury Festival. I've been to Glastonbury Festival. You do not have TVs, let alone TVs with international cable connection. <laughs> To oh, yeah. local news networks <laughs> that are filming a hot take on a independent horror film. <laughs> All you've got is uh, on. a sarong, mean, a vest, sarong, flip flops, and a bag of magic mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> this exact same thing happens in the Dark Knight Rises. It's like you're in an indeterminate location and you've got a TV that's got like a network, you know, like regional cable from another country. <laughs> so we originally said that uh, Psycho might be abusing. Uh, well, not abusing, but misusing his power in the in the in the in the confines that he keeps shitface, right? Yeah. I would absolutely but say that. He's got it. He's given him a TV. That's worse than I've had in certain situations. <laughs> I'm not willing to discuss on air. <laughs> there's a, there's a TV in the room. It might be a leap to say that it's his. It doesn't it's make it, doesn't make him couch. feel any better about being a prisoner. Hannibal Lecter complains about having a TV outside his room. <laughs> but Hannibal Lecter's an intellectual. And it's fair to say that Shitface is not. But Shitface escapes and stows away on a garbage truck at this point. I think that the moment where he is running for freedom is hilarious. <laughs> so do I. Can we also talk about the way that he escapes? So <laughs> Shitface decides that he is not scary enough. <laughs> yes. So he gives him a rat? Yeah. I, I, that line of logic is tangential at best. I'm not a big fan of rats, right? I don't like rodents with those big thick pink translucent tails right but would but, it make you scarier no to i have don't one i don't actually think they're frightening they just give me the the ick yeah if anything it would make you look more of a wuss yeah makes to me... be in the presence of said rat it's I, very strange logic i picked this up totally differently i thought that he had given him the rat and was egging him on to kill it ah wow okay, okay. well yeah then yeah and yeah, get, you know, like, down on that old t- like childhood sociopath route, killing animals before people. I was imagining that the, the next show would have him riding around on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he does get away. How, how, how does he actually escape again? Because the rat's He runs gazelle-like <laughs> across hilarious. a fucking road, a very vacant road. Again, in the middle of Glastonbury Festival. Yeah, he escapes the to the nearby main the road. road. <laughs> yes. Yes, that famous but road, then driven I- by a very, very small rubbish truck, again, attending to all of Glastonbury Festival 2004. The rat bites a cycle, or whatever his name is, on his finger, and uh, it's at that point that Shitface uh, sees his opportunity and flees. And then flies to Hollywood, the mechanics of which are wisely left unexplored. Perfectly Complete. illustrated in Indiana Jones style with a red yes. light moving across a map. Those are exactly my notes. <laughs> Indiana Jones style to LA. Yeah. But not only does he get on a small chartered plane, but he manages to find himself on a, a UPS truck that goes directly to the studio mm-hmm. 
where his hopeful parents are shooting on. So this is this is some this is some fucking MacGyver shit. He's managed to traverse the U.S. postal system. Yeah. <laughs> to end up at this clandestine studio, which we, we is definitely not Universal Studios. Exactly. Even no, though definitely we no. cut to the Universal monsters being on said studio. Even, <laughs> even more interesting than that is he is actually delivered directly to Tony Gardner's workshop. Is he? Like, Tony Gardner here, special effects guy, playing himself. Yeah. But uh, I missed that. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, but yeah, he's he's hand delivered to there, and yeah, he f- he finds his parents. But before we get this, we get this sideline. I love the fact that this is the central thing for Jennifer Tilly's story when her and uh, Joan are looking through the kind of articles trying to find something that she can kind of audition for. And the thing that they settle on that she'd be perfect for is a Redman directed adaptation of the Nativity Story. <laughs> so, story time. Yes. Redman was not the first choice for this film. This was originally written for uh, Quentin Tarantino. Oh, yeah. I was gonna, and- I was gonna ask. It's gonna be like level with us. Which member of the Wu Tang Clan did they originally have in mind? <laughs> <laughs> or the Insane Clan Posse? <laughs> <laughs> I would love it if it was Violet J and he just had his makeup on the whole time. I was going to say, it's a version of the Nativity Story that's directed by Shaggy Too Dope. (laughs) Jennifer Tilly's kind of lamenting the the path that her career's taken, that she's she's doing this film with these dolls, and she goes for a meeting with Redman, who uh, it's immediately shown fancies Jennifer Tilly exactly as much as I do. Mm -hmm. This interaction, yeah, it's becoming pretty apparent she's not going to get the role, and uh, she's going to lose out to her in-universe nemesis, Julia Roberts. And uh, yeah, she tries at this point to um, to use her feminine wiles. Two things. One, Jennifer Tilly so should have played Erin Brockovich. <laughs> Fuck yes, yeah. I love that world. Yep. And two, Julia Roberts wouldn't allow, or Julia Roberts's representees would not allow them to film the line without Joan saying, "Jennifer, you know that's not true." In response to them alleging that Julia Roberts slept with the director, and that's the only way she got Erin Brockovich. Oh, that's interesting. Which I think is an interesting comment, a kind of a running theme about slander and libel. She is, she really is the villain of this piece, isn't she? Julia Roberts, I agree. Yes, yeah. the off-screen villain of Cedar Chucky. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> that's a fucking great theory. My my the more prescient point <laughs> is that there's this there's this amazing running issue of slander and libel within Seed of Chucky in the making of Seed and Chucky. Uh, but also, I kind of love this comment that they have, and I think it's really really relevant, especially today, about the kind of machismo state of Hollywood mm-hmm. and the whole concept of sleeping with a director, which has been done countless times. Yeah. Uh, in in like comedy pastiche, but I think. This is kind of one of certainly the first horror films to address that as an actual issue, especially nowadays looking kind of retrospectively at that climate. Yeah. And I think I think there's a there's a lot in there. Scream uh, 3. Yeah, definitely. Scream 3. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it's another podcast for another day. <laughs> I think it's interesting that um, when Glenn is shipped to Tony Gardner's workshop, that he just so happens to have the heart of Dumbala with him. Like, I mean, that's just extremely fortuitous. Yeah, I got he, nothing on that. I'm <laughs> guessing then he was found with it. Yeah, of or course he was. Very, very strong baby hands. <laughs> He clawed his way out of that grave to find that amulet because babies like shiny shit. They're like magpies with those mighty. Those mighty made in Japan wrists. Yeah, yeah. 
They hone in on that shit. Put a baby next to an iPhone. They're fucking there. They're taking it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Babies like shiny shit. Then you need so, to take it to the shop because it triggers the, the moisture thing because they filled it up with a saliva. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but he recites the incantation, which again, I think is like he, t- he puts that together pretty savvily. And uh, Chucky and Tiffany reborn, rejoining us. The incantation is remarkably shorter than it has been yeah, in easy. the past four films. Yeah, incredibly easy. Adi Dewey, Dembala. Boom, that's them back. Eyes open. Also, in the past film, it like literally the film that was, I mean, it was like, what? When was Bride of Chucky? 98? 98, yeah. 98, yeah. So so we're six years out, but not that much. Assuming the gestation period that is later established, we're talking months after the, the acts of Bride of Chucky. Well. So this, these, these Bude curse gods... They be going. This is this is this is some too difficult shit. We need to shorten this down real quick because the whole heart of Dembala curse was about transferring souls to something else, not just bringing some shit back to life. Also true. Yeah. This is the writer director of the previous installment. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I say. Come on, come on, Don. He's like, fuck it, my world, my rules, and that makes me love it more. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, fuck it. They awaken. They meet. I do. I do like the idea of uh, of them being like, guys, we need a shorthand for this incantation. <laughs> <laughs> Handy that it's actually written on the back of the medallion itself. Yeah, a good death here when uh, Andy, as you say, a real life effects guy. Yes, killed here. Comes in to do some repairs on uh, Chucky and Tiffany, and is decapitated with piano wire for his trouble. Well, it's some kind of wire. Yeah, I like that. Uh, <laughs> when Chucky asks, "Who the hell are you?" of Glenn, the answer is shit face. Uh, presumably yeah. the only name he knows, uh, which is quite lovely. And he gre- that, so at this point, you get Glenn doing his first kind of Japanese greeting. Dame arigato. <laughs> yeah, it's and, But Tiffany immediately assumes a motherly figure. Yes. She's already kind of tending to him. She's desisting from Chucky's retorts. Also, she kind of observes their mutual deus ex machina, that they're all related, and suddenly we have this reunion. Yeah, and um, we get into the, the kind of the mechanics of this pretty quickly because it's established pretty much straight after this that uh, Shitface is anatomically a Kendall. Full-on barmy mode, yeah. yeah they, drop, they drop Trow and there ain't fuck all there. Nope, That's really their, their responses to his like, genital-less crotch are, are very funny. Very funny. <laughs> so Chucky thinks it's a boy because sure. maybe he's not at his growth spurt yet. He's a late bloomer. Well, like a little, a little willy's just going to pop out. Yep, if, if I think I think we've all been there, gents, when it's been cold out, that you could just assume it's a mound at first. <laughs> <laughs> just an acorn peeking out some pubes. Yep. <laughs> yep. Just a little hump. Um, a little hill in the Malvern. <laughs> a little stay puff marshmallow man nose. This is a, a geographical insignificance. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell, boys. Uh, yeah, Ch- Ch- so Chucky immediately thinks guy, sure. uh, boy, goes to the name Glenn. Tiffany immediately thinks girl and says Glenda. Yeah, and... a nice reference to Edward. Yeah, yes. yeah. 1953 Glenn, Glenda. It's, it's... Amazing. And, it, and you're right, Mitch. I think it introduces this kind of... It formally introduces one of the film's more interesting strands. The most interesting strand in the film. Agreed. So within the first act of the movie, we've got this kind of seamless analogy about growing up on the outside of the norm 
Yes. Glenn, Glenda, just wants to figure out kind of who they are on their own terms, but they're facing pressure from their parents to behave in a certain way, befitting to what gender they're assigned, they're meant to go to. And this is kind of a running theme that that, that comes up in the genuine of the film. Yeah, which I think that over the pace, it handles reasonably well. Really well. 2004. Yeah. Yeah, that's, 15, I think that, 15 years I think ago, man, to, yeah. Yeah. And we have to kind of, especially looking at the the climate of America, we have to look at kind of when Prop 8 came in and the genuine leaps in acceptance and understanding we've had within the um, LGBTQARR movement since then. And this is a film from 2004, analyzing it. And yeah, and definitely coming out ahead of the curve. Absolutely. Yeah. But we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. We'll get to s- the point later. That gets developed. Yeah, that gets, obviously that gets developed way more significantly down the line. Jennifer Tilly enters and Tiffany's totally starstruck by her. I love, so we kind of hinted at it before, but obviously Jennifer Tilly playing Jennifer Tilly. Yeah. Uh, and absolutely willing to rip the cunting shit out of herself. Yeah. Yeah, she's it's constantly... very early yeah. on. There's this weight joke about herself and that she's on this like shake plus plan. And so she's hiding Mars bars in Chucky's outfit. And <laughs> I love that that is actually used as a plot device. Like that's why she comes downstairs to find the crime scene because she's hidden a Mars bar in his dungarees. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's very, very game in this film, I think. And even later on, like when Tiffany's dragging Jennifer mm-hmm. across the hall, she says something like, oh, she's so fucking fat. She's not even pregnant yet. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I think, uh, yeah, she's, uh, she's very, very willing to laugh at herself here. Yeah. So Jennifer gets kind of caught in this murder, murder scandal. She, for some reason, picks up Tony's head and makes out with it. Yeah, she, <laughs> yeah, yeah. She thinks it's like a super realistic prop. Andy, you've been on many a film set involving much viscera. Has yes, any of your yeah. actors ever just decided to walk on and copulate with said props? Does that happen? <laughs> I'd like to I, say I, no, <laughs> but that fake arm and this morphia took an absolute pummeling. <laughs> <laughs> By the end of it, it was just like a worn-out flashlight. It was disgusting. (laughs) Ah, like a poor hollowed-out melon. (laughs) They're good for fuck all. So evidently, this is something that happens. This is a real, uh, like, verite expose on Hollywood. Absolutely. Absolutely. And 100% 100 authentic peek behind the curtain. Also mirrored in when... So Jennifer's caught up in this, like, uh, murder scandal. She leaves the scene to have... All of the press attacking her. Yeah. Which is something you don't see much in films about Hollywood, but it is something that really happens. Mm-hmm. And this, especially these reporters literally barreling down on her, shouting, What is the exact date of your birthday? Yeah. This yeah. happens. This what is your exact weight? This is this is again increasingly seen now. This is commonplace knowledge now. But 2004, it's not. This is a reflecting mirror uh, saying fuck you to the state of Hollywood. But also, we get introduced now to, again, queer icon, John fucking Waters. Pete Peters. Pete Peters, yeah. Pete Peters. (laughs) Intrepid uh, pap. Who cannot point a camera at his focus. So when when he's amidst this throng of reporters trying to interview Jennifer, please do... 
pay reference to where that camera is pointing because it's about 90 fucking degrees off of where jennifer tilly is yeah so, <laughs> yeah god bless his producers i fucking love john waters he's just the best do you not think his inclusion is absolutely typical of what this film was going for this massively camp aesthetic i would say so yeah yeah, yeah. and also he i mean he's he's been quite an avowed fan of the series he thinks that chucky is his favorite slasher well there you go yeah i agree i think casting him here makes perfect sense uh, in terms of what they're trying to do out of this so she gets into a limo with uh her limo driver stan stan thank you whose literally only function is to here be just kind of like silently in love with jennifer like his character is established in no other way really quite one note but i love this again this is a comment this is inverting gender stereotypes you have a character that is nothing but meat literally to the point that his his body's sole purpose is to be transferred into you are this is literally doing what so many of the hammer horror films do with the female body just being something to put a soul into or to drain or to or, or to supernaturally force upon stan just is this this figure of nothingness like chris hemsworth in ghostbusters like chris hemsworth in ghostbusters yeah but 2004 (laughs) (laughs) let's never forget that let's never forget the the year that we're talking about here but so they get into this car and immediately make out presumably none of the paparazzi that have been viciously hounding her six feet away can see this (laughs) they literally she's like oh she's in a car we can't see her where's she gone is it yeah well you know like uh, like that's the line (laughs) everyone invert your eyes we definitely can't see her mount her help but so also the puppets they hitch a ride with her yes crucially crucially they do that we should also say we missed this out the puppets are now no longer puppets even in their mechanics they are filled with viscera they are so when when tony cut tiffany open or opened her back plate she is filled with she's a real girl yeah she's 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 got some meat in her she's a little meat bag (laughs) little meat bag yeah (laughs) (laughs) on the back of this uh glenn slash glenda quizzes their parents about their killing yeah and tiffany and chucky agree to swear off murdering to in pursuit in pursuit of being a kind of happy conventional family however chucky classic primary school playground maneuver has his fingers crossed behind his back yeah and um the killing's about to kick off really in earnest because we head straight to jennifer tilly waiting for a red man yeah and the plan has become that tiffany and chucky will leap oh sorry this is this this is important yeah i don't know if leap is the word but uh obviously just get down a quantum leap hole um, but they will uh, transfer their souls, I should say, into the bodies of Jennifer Tilly and Redman. Yes. Um, I don't know if the transference process is necessarily gendered in that way, where women go into women. It would have been quite interesting if there'd been an accidental crossover. That Yeah, that would be great. Like a full-on Freaky Friday kind of... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, they have pl- they have plans for Glenn as well, which we can kind of get to as it unfolds here, and it does unfold. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, it unfolds, yeah. <laughs> uh, Jennifer Tilly waiting for the arrival of Redman um, at her house. She's uh, kind of gearing up for an evening of uh, kind of seduction to try and secure this role. Um, yeah. You make seduction sound so unsexy, Mitch. Gearing up for an evening of seduction. It sounds like gearing... Like, I said that with the exact tone and cadence of sounding like, gearing up for a good old spring clean. Like, just strapping on those wares. <laughs> oh, fuck. I'm gonna have to turn him on now. Um, in the kind of waiting around spell, she fires Joan. She yeah. does. 
I can't watch these scenes. Why not? So especially, so this the, these cutaways and this split screen, which uh, in the commentary, Don says, this is my inspiration held it from Brian De Palma. And this this is just two people on a screen. Like, this ain't Brian De Palma, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Calm it down. This ain't Brian De Palma. <laughs> uh, but I literally cannot watch this because I'm sat there going, why the fuck is Hannah Spirit from S Club 7 in this? Yeah, I've got a note written here that says, stop saying the word evil, Hannah Spirit. She does say evil a lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She just got to hold her head high. Reach the top. <laughs> <laughs> Don't stop, Hannah Spirit. Never give up. And in case you're wondering if moments after this you're going to get to see Tiffany's doll tits, you are. You know what? I wasn't wondering and then it happened. Um, very odd. Very peculiar. Uh, very <laughs> round. Uh, kind of like the duck tits in Howard. Howard the duck, yeah. Um, bit weird. It's fine. <laughs> it's not exploitative in the slightest. I mean, it's problematic in other ways, but I guess it's not exploitative. <laughs> wonder what ever happened to the puppet with the tits. I think we know exactly what happened to the puppet with the tits, and we do not want to talk about was, it here. I was going to say, given your sordid on- um, onset stories about violated arms, I think we all know what happened to the doll. Fucking hell. Absolutely. Give it, a, give it a good ten years, and we're going to get a, fi- a like a four-hour Finding Neverland documentary about what happened to the tits on Tiffany the doll. <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany Spikes, Jennifer Tilly, and Redman Champagne here. Yeah. Which uh, doesn't immediately go to plan because she eventually has to kind of sack off that plan and uh, smack Redman in the head with a wing ball. Meanwhile, funny joke, in my opinion, the plan is obviously to inseminate Jennifer Tilly with, <laughs> uh, with doll semen. Uh, to- <laughs> To uh, produce some of that, uh, Chucky nips off to the bathroom. I really like the fact it's a really, really kind of low-hanging fruit joke, but I did really laugh when he ditched all the porno magazines and his material of choice was Fangoria. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I grow on it uh, every time. I thought it was funny. Oh, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> why Why does Jennifer Tilly, it, real and in the flesh, have many heterosexual porn mags? Well, I thought they were just like kind of glamour magazines, like fashion magazines, no? I'm pretty sure they're not. I, 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 I'm not familiar with fashion magazines or straight porn magazines, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure fashion magazines do not have crotchless pants and full brazen titties. I was, uh, I was on the front. I, I, I read adult literature from that. Adult mm. literature, right? Okay, sure. Adult literature. But yeah, we do get to see Chucky having a wank. You do, um, which is impressive. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. The, it's the technical leap in the franchise that you didn't know you needed. Well, he, but he obviously bangs Tiffany and Bride of Chucky. Yeah. We kind of see that, and, and that's, that, that's pretty distressing. Pretty sexy, is what it is. <laughs> um, and if you're to, in animatronic terms, I'd say, like, throwing a wristy is way more technical <laughs> than like like banging a chick like that's just some hip thrusts that's fine you can get you can get a full-on hydraulic leaf just to do that straight in but this is some nuanced stuff there's no cg here this is let's understand what is actually going on here which is a team of five adult probably male professionals yeah making a doll jerk off i mean that's what that is that is what we need represented in the academy awards i think fuck most popular picture or best stunts best doll wank goes best doll wank. easily best to doll see wank. the chucky best doll wank. and i think this is the best doll wank of all time yeah. Throw me an alternative. Please do. <laughs> Name Give me a like Anthony Hopkins in Magic. There weren't no wank in there. <laughs> the deleted scenes from Lars and the Real Girl. Yeah. Name a more iconic wristy. I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But uh, yeah, then you also have um, so you you have John Waters observing this entire debacle, mm-hmm. yeah, and yeah. Pro- providing a commentary unlike anyone else could deliver. He's watching Chucky throw his little hands around. God bless him, and he says, "A masturbating midget." <laughs> Yeah, in that way that you almost expect him to be like, what a scoop, and then run to a phone box. Speaking of what a scoop, Chucky does a good uh, bit of running around with a cup full of spunk pretty soon here. He also does a great jerk-off noise. I can't get over the noise he makes when he's about to reach his... Vinegar stroke. Ken completion. Yeah. <laughs> Ken-pletion. Ken-pletion. Yes. Trademark, I'll trademark that shit. Um, Tiffany knocks out Redman with a champagne bottle and subdues Jennifer Tilly. After berating yeah. her for being of loose morals. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, kind of cutting back to kind of like the gameness of Jennifer Tilly in general here. Oh, she's, yeah, she's wide open. She's, uh, she don't give a shit about her career, past or present or future. Um, and I kind of love those roles. Joan Crawford did that so much. I mean, and I think Jennifer Tilly kind of apes Joan Crawford in the, the like the the final scene of this film. But she's doing a very very similar thing where like there is zero fucks to give Aye. about self respect <laughs> when she's literally grilling herself. Where's your self respect? All the scene that yeah. comes up in a minute where she's got a leg splayed and a doll with her voice is uh, spraying doll semen into her. Uh, well. Funny. I mean, I see no issues there. It's just, yeah. It's acting, <laughs> darling. It's acting, darling. Um, well, I what... also kind of love that. So, so Tiffany scares Jennifer. This is their first reveal that they've met each other, and she's aware that these fucking living dolls exist. She runs away and is, is stopped by Chucky proffering this load of cum. I mean, let's take a look at that cup. <laughs> it's so, full. It's so it's fucking so gross. Full. Yeah, it's there's so quite cool. a lot of jizz in there. I've donated cum before. But I don't know if you have to <laughs> say donated purpose? cum. I've donated semen. To a sperm bank? Not to Jennifer Tilly, but yeah, to a to a sperm bank. Thanks to, for clearing that up. Question. To, science, what to is, scientific purposes, yeah. What is the going rate for, for sperm? I didn't get paid for it. Nobody's taking mass swimmers without... Uh, some kind of. It wasn't to be paid. It was. It was a university thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, hey, hey! Everyone experiments at uni, man. Yeah, <laughs> I've donated but a like, lot of semen. Yeah, yeah. Like, I've, so we could say we've all donated semen. Here. Yeah, sure. We've all. <laughs> we've all you've got to get your way some way. <laughs> Times be hard. Yeah. I'm the only one who's uh, bold enough to consider it a donation. You know. <laughs> <laughs> But those cups are intimidating. <laughs> they are big. You Spe- just get speaking of altruism. Fucking hell. <laughs> but you get handed like this pint glass. And it's like you're at an ale festival and you're like, I can't fucking fill that. No one fills it, but Chucky fills it. And in doing so fulfills my heart. Yes. Lovely. Um while all this is going on, a couple of a couple of really good things happen, and I think something Mitch, that you kind of hinted at there is possibly a story attached to because mm. um, Chucky and uh, Glenn Glenda they go a killing, and part of this includes the running off the road and presumable death of what is supposed to be Britney Spears. Absolutely. So what's the deal? So this father son bonding trip to hunt Pete Peters. This, uh, this, I don't know, this scene kind of frustrates me because I don't like throwaway shit like this. It has nothing to the plot. It's very scary movie. Yeah, and I set up for a joke. But, yeah, it, it's, it's literally, it's been written for the payoff, and the payoff is pretty shit anyway. Agreed. Um, 
but the ratification that they had to do to keep it in the edit is what makes me love it. So, much like Julia Roberts' representation, because there's nothing really libelous here, it's just Britney in a car getting thrown off the road. Uh-huh. I mean, she listens to her own music, that's pretty egregious, and she's got her own <laughs> number plate, and I think people that have a personalised number plate attached to their own name are generally cunts. But outside of that, yeah. it's not that bad. But still... Her management enforced Rogue Pictures and Universal and and Cedar Chucky in all of their promotional materials because this was featured in the uh, theatrical trailer. Mm-hmm. So any TV spots that was featuring Cedar Chucky had to come with a disclaimer in front of it saying that Britney did not appear in this movie and all lookalikes were purely incidental. <laughs> Just to sway people off if they were sat there going, oh my god, Brittany, she's dead. So like, like, I, lo- I love it. I love it. Lookalikes were incidental, like as opposed to what? Like lookalikes were engineered in a laboratory. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, like this is gone. Like you say, it's 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 kind of it's all in service of like what is at like a, a total three out of ten punchline when uh, Chucky says, "Oops, I did it again." In ADR. <laughs> <laughs> but over the top of a very expensive pyrotechnic. Sorry, Mitch. At which point do you think that Brad Dourif's on set delivering his dialogue? <laughs> <laughs> Just. I don't have an answer for that, and he's good, DJ. It's fine. Maybe it, it might be. Um, straight after that, um, uh, John Waters, Pete Peters, uh, also meets his end inadvertently at the hands of uh, Glenn Glenda. Yeah, yeah, but by a lie. He takes a look at what is a horrifying, seemingly mobile ball. Um, without I think, any... I think that's quite an artistic shot. It's all in silhouette. It's very yeah. classy. If anything, if the if the crew knew exactly how to market this film, they would leak that photo yeah. in front of Jennifer Tilly's house on like Perez Hilton. That, <laughs> that, that would have been some really good shit. Yeah. Um, what I love particularly is that it goes at odds, like probably for aesthetic reasons, to shoot this within a like a red lit dark room. So you you have to assume that he's processing these photos on thirty five mil. Uh, which in 2004, maybe, yeah. maybe, yeah. maybe fine, but he processes these photos, he develops these photos in liquid, and then immediately they are on digital yeah. editing software <laughs> that he can like find clarity from absolute silhouette, absolute blackness. Yeah. Because so he sat there and um, he has a ju- there's this this wonderful jump scare where uh, he he's looking at the silhouette and he turns around because Chucky decides to go <laughs> for n- literally no reason at all and he sat there and P. Peters John Waters goes mm-hmm, okay there's a doll in my room that's fine I'm gonna continue analyzing this photograph but then div- th- and then does some like digital mastery enhances the photo to the point where you can see this ain't no midget this ain't no god bless the little people this ain't no mini me this is chucky in the flesh jerking off and also in his room yeah and then he decides to react yeah great yeah love it and then yeah so chucky is like full-on mission impossible styling him from the ceiling uh and glenn is like no no you can't do that and uh backs him into a cabinet of hydrochloric acid which melts his face off yeah. Best effect in the film. Yeah, I think it holds up. Great practical effect. Yeah. Really holds up. Really yeah, holds up. fifteen years on, that has that has aged pretty nicely. I, I mean, you see it repeatedly as well. This isn't a quick cutaway. Like you see it happen in 
motion, and yeah. then you see it again in Polaroid because uh, Chucky decides to take like a father-son happy nostalgia pick uh, with with Glenn. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Of course, it's revisited pretty frequently in that way. Of course, isn't it? The scene that falls on from this has my favorite individual shot of the film. All right. Just to shoot, uh, shoot very quickly through the events of it, you've got Jennifer Tilly and Redman at another dinner um, mm-hmm. in her house. She says that she's pregnant. Um, Redman immediately rules himself out as being the father because he's had a vasectomy when he gets to uh, Hollywood. He kind of treats the whole thing very dismissively. Tiffany uh, overhears this, is enraged, and when Jennifer Tilly gets up, Tiffany runs under the table and kind of eviscerates Redman from underneath. Yeah, after a long bit of soul searching, which is quite important, where she feels like she's about to relapse into killing, which is her kind of default, and she yeah, there's, there's a huge step you've yeah. missed here. Yeah, because she's trying to recover from the killing addiction, isn't she? Yeah, and she's she... reading Twelve Steps in Three Days: yeah. Guide to a Busy Addict. <laughs> it's an essential and, reading piece. And she reco- and she calls like an addict helpline, like a recovery helpline, and she's told, "Look, it's okay to occasionally relapse. It happens." And yeah, that's kind of her cue to feel better about what she knows she's going to do anyway yeah i'm sorry that i was i was way too quick to shoot past that that's a good point that's worth highlighting. i think also you were way too quick to shoot past the fucking table they're having dinner at being the largest dinner table in existence oh yeah they are 300 feet from each other when they're having dinner it's like the filled one. with the largest amount of fucking boiled vegetables you ever seen you got <laughs> red man shoveling down three liters of sweet corn like it's the fucking end of the broccoli prohibition here <laughs> what the idea. fuck is going on with this set dressing uh, whose responsibility was this like if anything if anything could be attributed to the downfall and critical failure of this film it is the set dressing of this table that threw me out. After some soul searching, yeah, uh, Tiffany decides she's going to go through with it. And like I say, eviscerates Redman from underneath, which is kind of all pretty nicely done. The shot that I'm talking about, the table is glass. Yeah. And uh, as Redman dies, he sh- you see it kind of from like from over his shoulder. You see Tiffany looking at looking up at him menacingly through oh, the yeah. glass table. His head hits the table and it cracks. Yeah. I really like that. I thought that looked really cool. That comes. That was a very long setup in service to very little. But that's my favourite shot of the film. Thanks, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> fucking riveting right after um, this uh, the family are reunited and they uh, immediately dive into a massive kind of argument about I guess the nature of being a killer Chucky's happy being a killer Tiffany's trying not to be they're talking about the gender that they want to bring Glenn Glenda up as and there's a nice little nod to the room, which must have been relatively fresh at this time. Yeah, the room is a couple of years old. Is it is it a nod at the room, or is it a nod at Rebel Without a Cause? Oh, Come on, of course. Let's go back to the original source here. I guess that makes more sense because I think the room came out in two thousand four. It did. Ah, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I guess it would be that. Although I must admit, my head my head went to year tearing me apart, Lisa, first as well. <laughs> like, um, I would admit that. A uh, really funny throwaway line just before this when you see Tuffy. Uh, oh, Tuffy. Tuffy. Really. Uh, <laughs> That's like, the ho- that's like the Hollywood name, like Bennifer. Halfway. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, uh, Chucky and Tiffany are in bed watching the news, and uh, just like really throw away, Tiffany's like, oh, they're executing yes! Martha Stewart this morning. Yeah, which is such, it's a, it's a really, really very nuanced callback to Bride of Chucky, in which Tiffany is a massive fan of Martha yeah. Stewart. Like, there are numerous references in that film to Martha Stewart. She takes the piss out of Chucky for using a uh, carving knife. She says, who are you, fucking Martha Stewart? I love that kind of stuff. It's, it makes no sense in the state of the film, even though I think I picked up on interview somewhere from, from Don. He's like, oh, it's a comment on the US judiciary system. Okay. Is it? 
Is it really? <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> or is it just an arbitrary combination of words that sounded funny? Absolutely. But for throwaway lines, and I kind of love that they 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 surely had to like run that through clearance and through rights oh, of having it. actual Martha Stewart on the TV to say she's gonna be executed. Love that. Fully <laughs> totally down with that. Also, in that scene, Tiffany informs that because it's a voodoo pregnancy, it's going to be accelerated. Fully inseminated Jennifer is, uh, is, is, is going to, like, she's going to go to her third trimester. She's set to burst. Yeah, when, when, well, when she said accelerated, she fucking meant it. That's famously the case with voodoo pregnancies. <laughs> yeah. It is. Yeah. It is, uh, yeah. And, and I'm glad we don't have to endure nine months of it. Yeah. Chucky ties Jennifer Tilly to the bed here. Yeah. And then he and Tiffany argue, and I think this is the argument you're talking about, about how they're going to raise uh, Glenn Glenda. And uh, Stan is kidnapped as well around this time as a kind of replacement for Redman, who is obviously now useless. We're dead. Yeah. So, so we've got Stan and Jennifer Tilly uh, tied to the bed, and we're setting up for the final standoff. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Hannah Spirit turns up again, finds her way into the bedroom, finds the body of, I was going to say Method Man, but that is not the right person, it is Red Man. Different Wu-Tang member, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure either of them were in Wu-Tang Clan. I think they both were. I don't think they were. Wait a second, wait a second, yeah, let's someone, have a look. Someone together, I'm going to feel so terrible if I've got uh, both of those wrong. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm quite confident about this. Red Man was not. Red Man wasn't in the Wu-Tang Clan. In Wu-Tang Clan, Method Man was. But yeah, Hannah Spirit turns up and she sees, finds the body of Red Man in the, the wardrobe. And uh, yeah, she is beset by what we believe at this point to be Tiffany, who does the old, I, I did this when I was a little guy, the lighter and hairspray trick. Mm-hmm. Emulates her, sets her face in fire. Yeah. And she falls over the balcony to her death. And and I think it's quite funny and quite good. It's I think it's pretty good stunt-wise. Also, everyone's going on about this film being so shit. This is this is a nominated film. This is an award-nominated film. Okay. What was the award? Okay. Do you want to know what the awards are? Yes. Award. This has been uh, nominated for the MTV Movie Awards in 2004 for Most Scared Actress, right. Jennifer Tilly. Uh, didn't win, sadly. And also for the Saturn Awards for Best Fire Stunt. Oh, there we go. Okay. There we go. Did it win? Lost, it? Out, lost out to Death Proof. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. I mean, which is- also, which also, weirdly enough, has the same composer to this Pino Donaggio. Uh, Pino Donaggio, yes. Yeah. Oh. Which is some, some valid shit. Sounds like a fancy wine. That is some some actual <laughs> credence. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? It says it sounds like a fancy wine. <laughs> Does sound like fancy wine, doesn't it? But no, he's actually an amazing Italian composer who did uh what did Pino do? Carrie? Yeah. Body double loads of De Palma stuff. Yeah, he's alright. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> no bad, no bad. Don't, don't do fuck all on this, but yeah. But yeah, great fire son. And uh Joan Hannah Spirit is uh is gone. Uh, her um uh, her she'll never reach the top. But it's a good effect again. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is, it is. As you say, it's framed as being Tiffany that's the yeah. perpetrator here. It's not. It's not, no. Chucky is kind of like, it's okay, you don't need to be upset. She's comforting her, and he touches her shoulder, and it's not it's Glenda in full beat. He, she's yeah. in full geisha. She's Tiffany in dress and wig and giving absolutely in to her killer instinct. Yeah, serving Patsy from Absolutely Fabulous Realness. <laughs> <laughs> very yeah. much so. It's very hot couture of EastEnders. 
this is a this is, this is a collection. Yeah, this is this is not drag at its finest, but it's two thousand and four, so it's fine. Yeah, and I, I think that actually the way that this is done in this reveal is really cool. I, I'm I'm pretty into this. What do you think of the moment uh, of self awareness that Chucky has round about this point? What do you mean? Oh, yeah. What do you mean? Round about the point where they're trying to transfer souls, things aren't going particularly well, and Chucky has the moment where he's like, "Look, I'm fucking sick of this." Oh, when he doesn't want to give up the legacy. Yeah, he's just like, look, being a human's much more fucking hassle than being in a like being in a doll's body. Like, you get mm. old, you can't get boners. <laughs> Obviously, oh. uh, and then he's like, do you know what? I'm fucking Chucky the Killer doll. That's his model. I mean, that's that's the kind of the peak of Chucky's arc in in this film. Uh, before we get to that, though, I think he's just at this kind of what I love about this film is it's almost like the honeymoon killers if they had had a kid and tried to raise it. It raises kind of all of these like intense and nuanced family drama issues of what it is to raise a kid when you're both coming from slightly different values. And so he, Chucky and Tiffany are coming at the raising of Glenn Glenda from completely different views. Yeah. Tiffany sees killing as an addiction. She wants to give it up to benefit her child. Chucky's like, fuck that. I'm just going to be what I'm going to be. Glenn Glenda is kind of caught in the middle here. Mm-hmm. And we, 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 I think we brushed uh can't remember when he says it i think it's kind of just after they kidnap tiffany and kind of tie her up when she uh to go back to the self-referentialism jennifer tilly talking about that bound is on cable oh and yeah she's, uh and oh oh no it went so there's this ah uh, oh we mentioned we didn't mention this there's this such great three-way conversation between um tiffany jennifer and joan uh before joan comes over when obviously tiffany and jennifer are both voiced oh, by the yeah. same actress and they're in the, in the same set together and Joan is just at a fucking loss to what's going on and when Chucky is kidnapping Jennifer uh, Tiffany is on the phone saying oh sorry and Joan's going what's all that groaning and she's like oh Bounders on cable Gina Gershon is fingering me it's yeah. great <laughs> <laughs> fucking, what, again Jennifer literally saying I don't give a shit about my career yeah. thus far I'll throw it all for the entertainment value of this film but the, the, the point we get to with that is that Chucky is just at an absolute loss with what he wants to be yeah, he, doesn't want to so give up, he doesn't want to surrender the legacy no, he doesn't want to surrender his legacy or his family values, but he also kind of doesn't want to initially lose the love of his life. And that's, I think, this is why a lot of people really, really hate on Cedar Chucky for being quite disparate from the series, but I think it works so well in antithesis to it. Is It's completely the opposite, but it's, it's almost the zenith of what it's been built up to from here, certainly from all of the themes brought through Bride, uh, imitating Bride of Frankenstein and going up to that point of these two uh, matriarchal figures going against each other. And then caught amongst that, you've got Glenn. I mean, he says, again, we didn't really mention it, but Glenn kind of says in that questioning of who he's going to be, before before kind of the before Joan's death scene or after Joan's death scene he says can't I be both can't I be sometimes I feel like a boy sometimes I feel like a girl but I don't want to be a killer and I think that's got such a beautiful portrayal of gender fluidity yeah yeah I think that like I think that that's actually that whole bit is done with uh, a surprising amount of sensitivity so 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 much and I think that the this this coming out of Chucky being like uh, well, no, this is who I am, this is who the fuck I want to be, is is really, really interesting when paired against 
Glenn Glenda doing the exact same thing and Tiffany doing the same thing as well. Um, goes back to what I was saying about the honeymoon killers and that kind of that whole trope of two sociopaths in love. I, I think it's just such a really interesting kind of exploration of that that we've not seen, genuinely not seen in cinema, what happens after that romantic period um, when yeah. you've got the actual kind of validity of family life and the pressures that comes with that. How does that impact on two fucking psychopaths together? I'll tell you how. How does it? <laughs> Chuck, how? Chuck, Tiffany threatens to leave and take the kid, and Chucky rage kills Stan. <laughs> well, before this happens, Jennifer births a full-blown baby. Not one. Twice. But two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she gives birth to twins. That is correct. That's important. Um, and, um, yeah. But Chucky kills uh, Chucky kills Stan in an oh. attempt to kill Tiffany. Stan kind of intercepts the axe, right? Ch- Chucky doesn't try and kill Stan. No, Chucky he tries to, to kill, kill Tiffany, Tiffany, and Stan gets in the way. Why? So why does Stan get in the way? Because why does Stan give a fuck about this animated Tiffany doll? That knife ain't aimed for Jennifer, who Stan is in love with. <laughs> oh, fair. Yeah, that's true. He's a cunt. He's a cunt. Yeah. Again, <laughs> he is he is a meat sack with no purpose, and uh, I'm all for it. Straight out of this, kind of ambiguously into hospital, pretty mm. much. Um, yeah. Jennifer Tiffany wants kind of access to her babies I'm going to see through this kind of quickly because I actually think that this is a way weaker ending than what you have in the kind of standoff in the room right at this Sorry. point like Tiffany drugs, drugs her Sorry. and goes for the possession Chucky arrives at this point God knows how he found them Andy as you mentioned this monologue that, that Chucky delivers I think it's one of the best things that Brad has done in the series the babies have just been birthed and everyone is shouting Jennifer's shouting Tiffany's shouting Glenda's screaming so's the babies and Chucky just fucking cracks he is he's laying down his ethos now uh, he tells everyone to shut up. He says there's a limit to how much he can take. He says this is nuts. And he basically, like you said, he establishes that he would rather take his chances as a supernatural doll than a fucking human. This, because- is, a really, this is a really good monologue, you're right. Yeah. yeah, like, humans have all this shit that comes with them, like, they're they're noisy, they moan, they have to worry about getting fat and getting pregnant and being successful, and yet as a doll in his current figure, he's fucking infamous, he's one of the most notorious slashers in history, and he doesn't want to give that up, and I love this sense of serial killer empowerment, yeah. because... <laughs> It's almost in the exact same way, in a very self-knowing way, as when Friday and Nightmare, over the course of their franchise, began to re-establish the villain as an anti-hero. And considering that the main narrative impetus for the entire of the Charles Play franchise is Charles Lee Ray going back into human form as opposed to doll form, him suddenly going, you know what? I like what I am and I'm going to be it is incredible. I love it. Yeah. I absolutely love that. So within that monologue, you get a villain that's become a anti-hero, epitomizing his anti-hero status and then reverting back to being a despicable villain because of what he does next to Tiffany when he fucking slams her in the face with an axe in the hospital scene. Because when Tiffany gets killed in the hospital scene, I don't know about you, but when mm-hmm. I saw it, I was like, oh my God, she's fucking dead. Yeah, no, it's it's a big moment in the film and the franchise, I think. I would say so. Yeah, and I think that ultimately Chucky kind of dies a villain. I think yeah. he, ha- I think he I has love. too, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because Chucky has so often died as, I mean, practically since Charles Play 2, Chucky has died as a character that you secretly know is going to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so seeing him taken apart in a way that actually feels 
redemptive and justified rather than just for the sake of a story pattern mm. i love and glenn eviscerates him it's his <laughs> son that that kills him yeah chops off arms legs head um i think his death is perfect and in that moment he's prouder than he's ever been to see his son fulfill his destiny like kind of fulfilling the family legacy yeah you, you're my boy chip off the old block yeah, yeah, there's yeah. all that kind of stuff, and th- and then I think it's kind of it's good that once kind of Glenn obviously kind of goes against his nature when he kills Chucky, and then kind of immediately has this kind of breakdown afterwards, and you just kind of come out of that scene kind of sharply, um, and I think it's really nicely done. I think that it does yeah. enough with the aftermath as well. You kind of see what it does to Glenn to have to do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we come out of that, and it's a f- it's a trusty five year later chronology hop. <laughs> Yeah. I wonder what could happen. Um, first and foremost, we've got a nanny quitting because she's spooked by Glenda. Fulvia. Yeah. Fulvia. Fulvia. Yeah. I see. Okay. Uh, yeah. She's um, she's leaving. <laughs> but yeah, she's explaining all that. Uh, Fulvia. Yeah. She's explaining all yeah. this to Jennifer Tilly, who uh, initially looks like she's kind of going to accede to that and just let her go, but ultimately uh, beats her to death with the Tiffany doll and um, her eyes glow green, which at this point is an obvious indicator that the uh, the soul transference worked after all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a success. And uh, Tiffany now embodies Jennifer Tilly, successful actress and yes. mother of two. Yeah, mother of two, crucially. Yeah. The pacifistic Glenn and the apparently more troublesome Glenda. It's Glenn's birthday at this point, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Presumably both of their birthdays. Of course, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, of course it is. Yeah. Being twins and that. Yeah, yeah. You would know being a twin. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I should, I should really have, I should really have more of a command of these things, shouldn't I? Um, Fucking hell. <laughs> um, but Glenn has one present left open. It is conveniently unlabeled. He opens it. It's the severed arm of Chucky, which kind of grabs at him as they're kind of parting shot, and we cut and we're out through the sound of Chucky's laughter. Andy, you asked a pertinent question about this. How did it get wrapped and posted? Well, I think that gets followed up in the seventh film in the series, entitled Cult of Jackie. Uh-huh. So maybe there was this brigade of people that were following Charles Lee Ray, and they were the ones that facilitated the... Reimagine? I, I don't know. I'm sorry, I am not taking a film that was only out two years ago. Uh, <laughs> As the reason for this, unless uh, Don Mancini has planned considerably ahead for the franchise, which I don't believe he has done. But what I do genuinely think is that Mancini, however much I like him, had fuck all idea what he wanted to do going forward. And he was just being reactive of the times, of the way horror was, and just of what he fucking felt like at the, at the moment. Yeah. I mean, uh, so I, I, I really true. don't, I, I wouldn't in no ways go to say he had a grand fucking majus idea of what was going to happen here. Um, what I do like about this is I think it's kind of admirable that the series from this point, this is quite an experimental entry in a series which up till this point was a pretty by-the-numbers slasher franchise, but he's, Don Mancini moving forward has been pretty willing to play about with it and experiment with it and just like just kind of do what the fuck he wants and try to take it in ways that he thinks is interesting. Absolutely, and he's also imbuing it with his own perspective. Like, he is not a beige director that's uh, like a mirror to what the, the what the zeitgeist is doing yeah or what the scene is doing like he's very much putting his own voice on these films yeah and it does yeah. set it apart in an interesting way i think i mean like for me as uh, on a first watch i thought that this was pretty interesting i think that i'm completely on board for i would say the first 40 minutes i'd say mm-hmm. that some of the kind of uh 
the actual kind of uh, nuts and bolts of the kind of story heavy lifting after that I find to be a little bit heavy going but the kind of how it actually kind of resolves itself I think is pretty satisfying I think overall it's pretty good so what is you guys read of Glenn so what we didn't talk about was how obviously Tiffany has put herself into Jennifer yeah mm-hmm. going forward and Glenn slash Glenda who has been questioning his own identity sure. throughout the entire piece has put himself into the twins so Glenn yeah. Glenn slash Glenda has split, split into Glenn, the young boy, and Glenda, the young girl, who yeah. we established one is really, really bad and one is really, really good. What do you guys read as kind of the social comment on that? Because I've got I've got my opinion on it, but I, I haven't kind of seen someone side with it in the way that they read it. I think that doing the split, I think having the kind of the girl go into the girl and the boy go into the boy, it's a, it's a convenient way to wrap it up, but I think that it's also potentially... Considering it's kind of handled that subject in a pretty interesting and ahead of the curve kind of way, I think that it's probably a little bit of a cop out. I think mm. it's I think no. it's interesting though that the male part that has split off into redhead boy Glenn um, has taken on more of the mother's totally yeah perspective and the angry mm-hmm. violent part of Glenn, I suppose, which has come more from Chucky, has gone into the the ghetto. That's true. So it's, yeah, that's yeah, interesting. It's inverted the expectations of yeah. the parents. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I th- that's to me one of the more interesting. I think what the f- the film does best for me is when it is playing with a your expectation agenda and the whole yeah. question and confusion around Glenn's ge- or Glenn and Glenda's gender. Um, mm-hmm. And when it plays with the family dynamic, I think the rest of it, while I can appreciate all that stuff and I, I think that stuff's impressive when it's handled well, mm-hmm. I feel like actually the, the presentation and how the film's put together um, always, to me, felt like a bit of a mess. I think that maybe the social message gets occluded by the necessity to make it a horror film and mm-hmm. to make it an entertaining film. But so my like kind of trans read on it is that like almost due to the pressures and stresses that are caused by um, his parents and the expectations they put on them, that, that it causes this like fracture of his fragile psyche. So what we end up with is Glenda as this like murder complicit sociopath in the making. And then you've got Glenn who's this already established as sweet but meek and eventually this implied victim of Chucky. Whereas if they'd been allowed to, ex- so if Glenn Glenda in doll form had been allowed to express their gender fluidity, mm-hmm. uh, been allowed to be queer, these wouldn't have surfaced. There wouldn't have been this segregation. There wouldn't have been this internal kind of struggle. It would have been an internal struggle, but it would have been one that could have been managed rather than this presence of evilness. So do you so- believe then that the split into the two kids at the end would be a much more balanced split across both yes. children. Right. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's a cool read on it. Pretty nuanced thing to come out of a film like this. A fifth <laughs> entry in this lasher franchise. I think that like the fact that 15, 15 years later we can look at it as having handled these mm. kind of things in an interesting way and having a take that still reads and kind of scans pretty well in 2019 is interesting. Mitch, before we call it a day, obviously I want to take a minute to talk about uh, the Soho Horror Festival, which, as we mentioned at the start, you are the co-director and head programmer of. I am, yes. So uh, the first of these was uh, n- this past November, as we discussed previously on the show, at the uh, Variety Screening Room at the Karma Sanctum Hotel in Soho. That's the one. You got the tongue twister out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
I think that um, for a first go uh, this past year, I thought that uh, the whole thing was pretty remarkable. Lineup-wise in particular, I thought it was um, really, really savvily programmed and a lot of really, really interesting stuff in there. I'm so glad. Thank you. That, that genuinely means the world. Uh, when we kind of started this as a... Uh, as, as a new venture, I was, as I think I said in the episode, I was super cognizant that there are so many, especially in the UK, if we took take the UK as this capsule, there are so many uh, genre film festivals comparative to the rest of the world. It's a flooded market, so uh, to, to kind of come in, I, I know that I'm fighting against many, not even fighting against, but working with many, many other places so all i wanted to do was just provide this kind of alternative vision yeah and i mean and i think that you, you definitely managed to do that yeah with, uh, i would say year. i mean obviously i wasn't there but I, I mean the lineup had a lot of stuff on it that you weren't seeing at a lot of other festivals cool well, it was it was films played back in november 2018 that have since been replayed at glasgow film festival a far far bigger platform of course uh, yeah yeah, Luz uh, made it there, of course, didn't it? Yeah, Luz played there uh, a good few months later. I mean, Trauma just had another repertory screening in, I think, Leeds. Oh, cool. Uh, in February. So not even slightly trying to say, like, being ahead of the curve, but there, it's just testament to the fact that there are so many genre films that just slip through the net. And uh, all, all I can hope to do is just kind of get them out there, really. And I'm so glad that, they're getting this this market. I'm so so happy yeah. seeing the amount of people at Glasgow Film Fest that saw Lose like exactly like I said last October. One of my favourite uh, genre films. Um, I think maybe I mean, it's, it's not mainstream enough for enough people to give a shit about on the kind of main thread of this podcast. But I think it's one of those really contentious titles that we could talk about in this format. A lot of people hate it. A lot of people love it. I just so happen to be in the latter camp. I believe, Mitch, you fall somewhere in like 70%. I think if any one of the films that hadn't screened anywhere else that I saw at Soho was going to get um, a kind of like, like you say, go on and screen at kind of some uh, some bigger festivals and get a kind of bigger audience, I'm glad it was Lose because um, I thought that was um, especially interesting and kind of challenging. I think mm. that there were other things that I possibly liked more, but I think that if I was picking one to single out, I would say that it probably would have been Lee's. But you did a good job, I mean, programming some things. Uh, you know, it was a kind of... A, a, the ones that you did pull from things that had already had screens in the UK, there were things that kind of had relatively small audiences that were worth seeing again, things like Rocksteady Row and Dementia Part 2. Um, we're being super proactive in looking to... S- a lot of really, really defining and defying titles in the genre. Would you like a tease? Yes. Wow, yes. Do you yes. want a tease? Oh, I'm a right, big, I'm so, a big fan uh, of a tease. So for those that are aware of kind of last year's lineup, um, we had a, a, a small focus on LGBTQ yes, horror, yeah. um, which we uh, which I kind of labelled under our Queer Fears branch. That will be back this year. Absolutely, definitely, with hopefully a documentary with a queer icon film in the making. And also a title that no one has heard about before, but is from a production company uh, that everyone knows. And they have a very, very interesting cult horror film that is imbued with a gay sensibility. Outside of that... We're certainly looking at what films we're going to put on, and it's looking really, really positive with a couple of releases bringing uh, one film to the UK that has not played here in 40 years. 
and one film one international film uh from the festival circuit which many people have been talking about uh but has not yet played the uk and will be playing here in 2019 okay that's quite a tease i was gonna say yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) ah very interesting mitch thanks so much for taking the time to do this man we really appreciate it not a problem mitch if anybody wants to keep up with you or soho on social media where can they do that oh so if you wanted to hear about my kind of mindless mumblings (laughs) you can follow me on twitter at scout the horizon or one word uh same on instagram uh, if you want to follow the Soho Horror Film Festival, you can find us on Twitter at Soho Horror Fest or on Facebook at Soho Horror Film Festival. Uh, you can also find us at www.sohohorrorfest.com. Wonderful. Cool. Mitch, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. thank you. This is always a joy. Oh, it is. It is. So it are, you guys con- are you guys converted? I am. I'm not, but like I say, it's, it's always been for me more of an issue with the, the, the actual film. Uh, the actual mm-hmm. structure of the film rather than the message. It's okay. I'm on my way now with like the set of eye openers from Clockwork Orange and uh, a vibrator. So I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna pair this film with some good sensations. You're gonna love it by the end. <laughs> I cannot wait. <laughs> Mitch, thank you so much, man. Thank you guys so much. I love fucking love this show. Oh, I'm really looking forward to Soho 19. Yeah, yeah, um, it would be nice if I can make it. That's uh, unknown at present. Yeah, I mean, like, I kind of had it in my mind I was going to go, but with uh, some of the kind of teasers that you dropped there, I'm definitely in. Well, good for you. And a big thank you to Mitch Harid, the co-director and head programmer of the Soho Horror Film Festival, for joining us today to talk Seed of Chucky. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much, Mitch. And we're done for another one. Hooray! However, we will be back on Monday with another mini-sode mm-hmm. and all the associated shite that comes with that. Yeah, yeah. Mitch's pitches, Shot was 100, what we've been watching and more. And in the meantime, get in touch. Go on, please. Facebook and Instagram, Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC. You can email as well, Strong Language Violent Scenes at gmail.com. Yep, and of course, you can hear us just about anywhere you can hear podcasts. Give us but- some examples. <laughs> Well, seeing as you asked so nicely, why not try Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, or our home at Podbean. Indeed, and whichever medium you are using, please do feel free slash encourage slash we're just pleading with you at this point to drop us a wee like, share, subscribe. Out of you? Out of you would be nice. Yeah, Yeah. if you're feeling tasty. Yeah, Um, all that stuff makes a difference. But a big thank you to everybody for listening once again. We will be back on Monday. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.